Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Get Out of Rap, a firm favorite of the show. She's back. Helen Beaumont Manahan, my friend and friend to the industry now, I think. It's good to be back. Hi, MT. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm good. Now, we had, we've got a plethora of things that we could talk about because you are an expert on most things content center. <laughs> But something, something that was kind of top of your head and the subject for today is kind of around vulnerability. Why, why was that the thing that you went, yeah, let's talk about this. Yeah. So, so, you know, my, my bag, my jam is all things quality in training, specifically in training around contact centers. And I just wanted to touch on vulnerability because it's been, I suppose, hot topic is the right word for it. It's been absolutely front of mind and the number one inquiry and discussion and also how that's translated into actual programs that we've run this year is it's vulnerability has been the, the main thing. And so I just thought it really behooves me and us to, to have a conversation about it today. If we're going to talk about training and, and quality in the context of contact centers and customer outcomes. And this is kind of buyer's choice, right? So a BPA quality, you have your, uh, library of available courses that cover all kind a range of things a cupboard. Yeah, yes. we've got a cupboard of cupboard. courses. Yeah. <laughs> uh, there's a lot of cupboard love going on. But the one clients have been choosing the most then is vulnerability. Why why do you think that is? So first I'll just rewind a tiny bit. So yes, we do we have a, a library of, of resources Not and, and content available. Well sorry, a, a cupboard, but but just to to clarify, we we do mm. we do tailor. So it's a kind of bespoke there's always a bespoke element and that comes out of the, the diagnostic and the discovery phase with with any client. We have a chat and, and naturally there are kind of golden threads that go through all this kind of work, but we also recognise that you know every contact centre, every customer base, every Every team is going to have their own unique kind of needs and requirements. So, so I just wanted to pick up on that. It's not like we yeah. go to the shelf, take it out and go <laughs> badoom and maybe brand it differently. Yeah. I'm sorry. So just to wind back, what was your, what was your question? <laughs> it was just why is that you, you make a good correction actually there around. And I can remember from my time at BPA, people come with what did what was the lovely analogy you used to use? It was either vitamins or medicine, wasn't it? Was that so, so, yeah, so vitamins or painkillers, and I think That's people it. can tend to see well all elements of of what we do at BPA really. So the the the, the QA, the, the consultancy, the the training solutions, they might be viewed as a, a kind of vitamin, nice to have, you know, helps the overall health of the organisation. But we, particularly with things like vulnerability, would would submit that actually it's it's a painkiller. It's like you have a, a pain, your customers are certainly feeling the pain and you need a targeted solution, which is is what we we prefer to provide. And then and then the vitamins come come with the coaching and the ongoing continuous improvement and the test and learn and you know, what are we noticing when we're back in role and, and what behaviors are we working to to change and, and what do we notice? So again, I'm gonna butcher our cupboard one. So this is <laughs> It's, it's more like pick and mix, yeah? So the people have got their kind of plastic shovel that they're going around choosing a bit of this. We want some change, how to deal with change, and we want to do some quality. But the one that keeps getting the most then this year, has that been 
we want to talk about vulnerability. We want to have vulnerability included in what you're coming to deliver. Absolutely. And I think it's coming from a range of different inputs as well. The reason why that's that's happening. Firstly, just I'm here for the the sweets analogy this morning. Definitely <laughs> good to do with some sugar, but I digress. So I think, yeah, there are there are lots of different lenses and, and one of them is is the regulatory pressures, I suppose, and the kind of mood music out there from various different industry regulators, the FCA being one, you know, we we all know about the consumer duty at this point. And what that has meant for effective identification and provision of, of support for those experiencing tricky and vulnerable circumstances. But also the other driver, I think, is, is people within the contact center space just looking at their teams and thinking, you know what, we're, we're vulnerable too. We're, we're experiencing tricky circumstances too. We're feeling this. So our customers are bringing things to us and then we are there left holding these things. So how are we making sure that we're not only upskilling our team members to, uh, you know, service the customer, but we're also recognizing that we too are humans and uh, we're having the same kind of issues. And if we're not, we certainly know people who are, so we're all affected. So it's, it's kind of now more than ever, I'd say, is the, the answer to that. So regulatory requirements, you know, adherence, but also just the, the kind of reason being that it's where we are as a, as a people and as a planet, I'd say at the moment. And it's that, because it's interesting, isn't it? What the the drivers, because that must be a factor in the solution that you're offering, but the factors then that drive people into this is that it's interesting, that kind of increased awareness of where we're at. So as we, as we evolve and progress as an industry and as people and as a society, there's a greater understanding of vulnerability. Do you though, do you find though that, uh, defining that is where you start? What, what, how do you define vulnerability? That's a, that's a great question. And again, so we can, we can start with the top line regulatory definition for whatever industry you're working in, you know, whether that be the FCA or whether it be Ofgem or, or whoever, you know, if you're working in the, the home building, um, environment, for example, then it's the new homes quality board, which, uh, uh, is quite a new, has newly implemented rules and guidance around vulnerability. So we've seen an uptick in both inquiries and delivery around servicing vulnerable customers from from that sector. But it, that's really, that would be a huge miss if we were just to get together, look at the top line definition and, and kind of go about our, our day. Uh, that would be, yeah, uh, really just to kind of do a disservice to mainly the, the huge levels of expertise. I, I love working with frontline teams specifically because they they know so much and they they don't always know what they know so we get together and we really surface what we already know about vulnerability and it's about understanding the, those real kind of customer stories and then almost identifying where the gaps are together seeing where the blank spaces are and filling those gaps so recognizing and celebrating all the great work that we're already doing and the ways that we individually show up when we notice that somebody is experiencing some kind of vulnerable circumstance or they have a vulnerable characteristic or as we most often see there are layers thereof and then working together to both you know make sure that we're completely crystal clear about what that definition is if there are any kind of omissions or anything that we would add to the regulatory definitions and then finally think about you know who we are as an organization understanding that we want to do the right thing because it's the right thing to do for our customers and our teams and our colleagues and then thinking about, okay, how does this translate practically when we've explored 
what it is and we've looked at the signs and signals and we've learned all the ways people can be vulnerable and the ways that they can and do tell us and all the frameworks we can use to surface this and what to do, how do we want to go forward? Sorry, very long answer to a, a very no, succinct it's, question. It's, Apology. <laughs> no, it's fascinating. Um, I, I love that kind of the complexity that you've that you alluded to. That's why it's a long answer because it's a, and it starts with that your first point around it can't just be based on the top line no. regulator who. I imagine, I have no, I, I don't know this, but I imagine one sees the vulnerabilities being included in another regulator's kind of guidance and people start, you know what, we should, this should be offered. So this is why it's kind of so prevalent or one of the reasons why it's so prevalent now. But I love the idea that you, you start with talking to the frontline team members about what they believe is omitted, right? That's what you said. Yeah. So, so just what we start with what's on top. When you think about vulnerability, what does it mean to you? And we'll just, you know, just what front of mind? It could be somebody saying someone in a wheelchair, you know, which is, is like, is one of those kind of visible cues. And then someone else will come forward with it's someone experiencing mental health difficulties. And someone else will say maybe it's, it's job loss or uh, a bereavement or whatever it might be. Everybody has a, a story and a connotation um, that, that vulnerability might mean to them in that moment. And then together we we bring this picture forward and take it from there. Then we will start to explore, well, could we define vulnerability? Can we come up with a working definition? We'll then cross-reference that against potentially, sometimes, several regulator reviews around it. Even if you're talking about detriment or harm or whatever you're talking about, because that's something else that is omitted and rightly so from top-line definitions, is what is the customer actually vulnerable to? What are the impacts? What are the ways that these, this harm or this detriment shows up? So it's really important that we, we know not only what we're defining, but then what that really looks like in practice and, and in people's lived experiences. Mm, that's great. And is there, so when you look at vulnerability, do you now look at it or, or how has your view of it changed in the last year, two years? I think like everyone that we work with, it's become more nuanced. I think that, you know, we, we all recognize now that, that when we meet our vulnerable customers, we meet ourselves. So there's been a, and it's been, you, you made a point earlier about everybody's talking about this. Everybody knows about issues around vulnerability now, and that's true. And that has to be a good thing. So that's changing. But I think potentially this uptick that we've seen in, in requirements for, for training and upskilling teams and working on an, ongoing, on an ongoing basis with teams around vulnerability has been just this recognition that we are, you know, in the fourth wave of the pandemic, we're left with the trauma, the burnout, the kind of the after effects. Um, we are living through a, a, a series of crises that our lovely colleague PD calls permacrisis, you know, and, and that is affecting all of us. So there's almost like this kind of acknowledgement and understanding that, yes, we need to do better because when we, we know better, we, we do better. And that's, that's really where we're at as a, a, certainly as a society, but also I think as an industry as well now. Not mm. enough to tick a box anymore. Yeah. Does that mean then that um, you're, you're able to help teams understand that people might exist on a kind of vulnerability spectrum? Exactly that. So it's, it is a spectrum. I think historically we have categorized or been tempted to or even encouraged to define customers as 
potentially vulnerable, vulnerable, not vulnerable, you know, neat boxes, tick. Whereas now we recognize, and certainly there are, you know, this, this isn't my, my work, but there is, a, 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 as you say, a spectrum of vulnerability, which recognizes that all 7.58 billion of us on the planet are on this spectrum. And at any time, being human, living our lives, things can and will happen that can cause us to move, you know, up and down that that spectrum of risk towards harm, towards detriment. And as we move towards that harm or detriment or the risk of it, then our needs are likely to be more unique. And we're going to, as organizations, if we want to meet those needs, be thinking about how we can flex and tailor and make reasonable adjustments in, in the way that we're showing up for our customers and how we're interacting with them. Do you find then that um, how, how you're helping teams show up for their customers, again, is this thing that there's, you can't have boxes anymore because how they're showing up for their customers then the class and the topic is vulnerability, but do you find that actually this is applicable to all of their customers, that some of the best practices and some of the things that you're training work for all? Yeah, you're, you're totally nailing it. So when we do the right thing for our vulnerable customers, we're doing the right thing for all our customers. It's not like a magic button that you press uh, when you identify that vulnerability might be present. <laughs> Um, yeah, and you know, I've heard it described before as the why don't we do this for everyone test. So if we are saying things like we show up and we give a tailored service to our vulnerable customers, we demonstrate empathy to our vulnerable customers, we we always seek the right outcomes for those who may have vulnerability. The, the, the question is why why don't we do this for everyone or do we do it for everybody? So yeah, it's, it's, it's like, I love the idea though of, of the spectrum of risk and just that acknowledgement and that really getting it that we're all on a spectrum of risk and at any time we can, you know, our, our risk of, of harm or detriment can, can increase or thankfully decrease as well because the nature of vulnerability is it can be transient, it can be, you know, permanent or it can, you know, come and go. You know, so it's, 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 it's nice and whatever snapshot of what that customer brings us on a particular day, we have to recognize that that might not be the case for them, you know, even tomorrow or certainly a couple of months down the track. And I love, I, I love the thought around that the teams themselves can also, you know, they're not, they're not autobots that come out of the ceiling based on contact volumes. They are also on That'd that. Be cool. <laughs> yeah. We've got a peak. Here they come, but they are also on that. And do you, do you spend some time exploring that? in your training, that kind of, well, where would you put yourself and how does that manifest itself into work? And Yeah. So, so I think that it is a very holistic approach in general. And when you take this idea, if you do, if, if people do accept the idea of, of a spectrum of risk and that we're all on it, then, then that kind of frames that part of the conversation around, well, how are we um, supporting ourselves? How are we recognizing what we need? How are we monitoring ours, our and our team's emotional load? Do we have the right support networks in place for us if we if we are managing more and more tricky conversations with customers that are emotionally sensitive and, and fraught in some way? Do we know how to debrief and do we have the time and the space to do that? So, yeah, that's absolutely part of it. Generally, in the action planning phase, that's where we get very specific and granular about what we're going to do. But it's really woven right throughout all the conversations that we have in, in the training when we explore the topic of vulnerability. And what are those phases, just out of interest? You mentioned earlier on kind of like diagnostics, and that is to make sure 
the output is very specific and bespoke, but um, what are the phases then? You mentioned action plan. Oh yeah. So, so the, the diagnostic is before we'll, you know, we deliver the training. So when we, when we start those initial scoping conversations, training needs analysis, you know, making sure that we understand that the unique dynamics of the team, what the primary, you know, needs are in terms of what needs to, to change and be different, how we might be able to make sure right from the outset that we are making sure that the support structures are in place and that the right routines and cadences are in place after any training to, to make sure it's kind of kept alive and, and that it's just, just, it's not just a wonderful thing that we all, we all come together and talk about and discuss. And then we go back and we're in BAU and nothing's different. And that's coaching, making sure that you're having team huddles, making sure that the content from the training, the concepts, the, the frameworks being actively touched upon and used in, in a variety of different new ways. So you make as our lovely friend Sophia would say, who's my training colleague for anyone that doesn't know, you know, you make new moves and then keep on making them. So anyway, I've, I've kind of jumped around a bit there. So yeah, diagnostic first, your, your training needs analysis, then designing the, the the training, however that might look in terms of actual workshops, you know, delivery of, of, of a program. And there are all kinds of different nuances there depending on what people need. And, and quite frankly, it will be down to, you know, appetite for, for delivering the training, you know, things like cost, time, you know, all kinds of factors come in there, need, regulatory requirements, all kinds of pressures. Then we will, you know, deliver that training, whatever that might look like and any subsequent touch points and potentially refreshes as it were, and then make sure that we're able to just kind of close some loops. So we're having roundtables after to see what people are noticing and then maybe adjust those action plans as well. So, so sorry, in the workshops, there's always an action planning piece at the end about what will practically be different. And that's very personal work as well. So it's not prescribed. So people take what they need. Well, as you know, I am a huge fan, very unbiased, but I know you and <laughs> Sophia are absolute superstars. And if, well, anyone can, if anyone can get to share a room with the two of you and just learn from you there in for a, a real treat. I was just thinking then to ask you around when you're when you're ex when you're working with companies, do you find that there are the internal hurdles to the effective delivery of a let's say a vulnerable customer friendly service? So or not not intentional hurdles, but just some of the processes aren't kind of optimized. Yeah. So often often we'll work with people when they're quite at the beginning of any vulnerable customer journey really or they'll say oh yeah we do have a box we can tick and flag someone as vulnerable but we don't really use it very much or something like that or or other organizations are very mature they're a lot further down the track and they've already for example got together the kind of signposting resources that, that their team members are equipped to then use with their customers to kind of see if there's any additional support that they might want to be offering or at least kind of pointing towards never singling anyone out or making them feel uh, different just, just, do you know what I was thinking? I was thinking, especially with my old quality hat on, mm. you, have you found instances where there might be a scorecard? And we all know, as especially, right, we know that in the absence of um, clear direction or even with clear direction, frontline advisors used a quality scorecard as saying, this is how I conduct a call. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So... I just wondered if that isn't vulnerable customer friendly, your 
you know, you're not quite, you're not aligned with, with that. And you might be kind of, you're, you're following a different path. How, yeah. how do you yeah. look at all of the process? Because it must be process improvement that comes out of your 100%. work. Yeah, absolutely. So when, when we do the kind of summative piece, we talk about, so what, what can we practically do? And not all of this is going to sit with our frontline teams, right? But what we're saying is be champions for vulnerability back in the ways. If you see something that has either worked, some adjustment that you've been able to make, something you've done, don't keep that to yourself. Make sure that you are proactively flying the flag for that, letting people know. If you're noticing that processes are proving to be blockers for people who are having tricky circumstances, who are in, you know, vulnerable circumstances, make sure that you are also proactively flagging this back to the business. Yeah. So it's just about changing that culture, really, to, to talk about things, celebrate successes, identify blocks, and, and really just have more of a can-do attitude about it all. The other thing that we hear a lot is, is it just comes down to time quite often for our, our frontline team members. So we can say, on one hand, have great conversations and support your vulnerable customers. And then on the other hand, we're saying, TikTok, you know, mm. you're, this is called get out of rap, right? Yeah. So, so that comes up time and time again as well. But I think, again, when we talk about mood music and just the general direction of travel around attitudes, around vulnerability, I think more and more we're hearing that, that people are, are being given a bit more space when they identify that, that there are vulnerable circumstances present in a contact, whatever channel that might be that they're being able to take the time with that customer, reassure them and let them know that, that they're through to the right place and that they're there to help them. And that's a, that has to be an absolute requirement, doesn't it? That if you've identified, so you've been trained on how to identify, if you've identified potential vulnerability, that you're able to take your time to explore that and then make any necessary amendments for the customer's benefit without feeling the pressure of productivity because it's interesting isn't the aht i think everyone now goes oh no, no we don't we don't track it we do look at productivity though and it's kind of like oh well That's it. yeah yeah it's, it's kind of the same thing it's it's, uh, it's aht with different pajamas on isn't it really so yeah a appropriate handle time You're isn't AHT. It? yeah <laughs> way i've seen you before i see yeah you. you've got a different hat no i think yeah appropriate handle time when it comes to conversations with our our customers in vulnerable circumstances is, is the, the way forward but that has to be supported with with actual living and breathing protocols in 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 role rather than just what we say we've got to be congruent and you so it's been a busy year yes <laughs> it's been a busy year doing that and i guess it's across industries yeah or it's lots of industries are all yes yeah so so uh yeah we've touched on a couple there so utilities financial services particularly i think as i mentioned the the consumer duty made it quite a few organizations think, oh, yeah, house building, housing, uh, lots of different sectors, healthcare sectors. Yeah. Do you notice any similarities? Is that too silly a question? No, 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 it's not, not at all. No, because we're all humans having a human experience. And um, regardless of which side of the fence we're on in that interaction, we're, we're all living through the same times, as it were. And and I know that that humans are always prone to to think, oh yeah, well this is a very unusual time. But I think we have all lived through um, quite a lot over the last few years, and you know I'm not the only one to probably uh, identify that customer behaviour seems to have changed. Our our tolerances have changed somewhat, and our expectations 
and and there is also a lot more just just dialogue around vulnerability out there in the wider world. So quite often customers will come through and proactively say, "I'll have you know, I am vulnerable in some way," and they're you know more kind of able to converse in that with that frame of reference as well. I didn't I didn't appreciate that to be honest. I didn't appreciate that people would come on and. As you say, far more awareness and dialogue isn't just restricted to our industry, is it? It's it's out there for customers to come on and say, I if I was on the phone, I'd find that quite helpful because it is part of the problem. This increased awareness means you're looking for signs that someone might be vulnerable when in fact they're they're either not or they wouldn't take kindly to being classed as that. Do you find any of that or Oh, absolutely. That all that all comes. I was going to say all comes out in the wash. I don't know if that's too colloquial, but but yes. Yeah. So so we we'd never presume. Sometimes people might proactively tell us I have X disability or you know whatever it might be. But but for example, one of the common or at least previously common misconceptions. I think things are changing now. Is that just because somebody is elderly or of advanced years, then they will automatically be vulnerable, or we should class them as vulnerable? And we know from from hard one experience that that's absolutely not the case and and some people will be very offended by that uh, and they're perfectly fine thank you very much um similarly we've seen complaints uh, land on uh, ceo's desk in the past where somebody has tried to be helpful somebody is blind and they have suddenly received in braille in the post and have found that quite offensive and said i i, I don't read braille i don't use braille i never asked for this and somebody, it's clearly come from a good place, but that's just, you know, that kind of top line, oh, this person, therefore, but we can't assume. And there are ways uh, that we can lean in and meet those customers where they are and either directly ask or treat their disclosure in in a, a kind of a sequential way that's going to be quite helpful for, for all of us. So, yeah, never assume is, is my key there. Never assume, but then how do you... How do you navigate that? Is this is there a lot of crossover from kind of emotional intelligence yeah. training into vulnerable customer training? Yeah, so we're talking about vulnerable customer training here, but naturally, as as part of that, we're not we're not a one stop shop. <laughs> Sorry, we are a one stop shop, but we're not a one trick pony. So we would always incorporate elements of of EQ, so emotional intelligence, specifically empathy, because that's what kind of resonates with people in terms of the language that we use. But it all starts with that, you know, self-awareness of self, self-management, also gathering feedback, you know, on on your, yourself as well. That that helps with self-awareness. It's not just uh, an, a personal assessment of, of your, your own kind of the way that you, you are in the world. And only then can you can you really seek to be thinking about how others feel and then try and effectively manage those relationships. So that's that's a key component and yeah, I kind of glossed over that, but it's it's absolutely part of the, the the vulnerability training that we that we do, along with, you know, kind of good communication skills, empathy starts with listening, for example, and also another kind of or rather an, the other side of the same coin is diffusing and de-escalating as well. So all absolutely hot topics. And so we've chosen to double click on vulnerability today, but those are all, yeah, very requested. Mm-hmm. Greatest hits. I think then about you've got someone is and and I love that the fact that you've kind of gone from self awareness to communication skills and leading with listening and just giving that customer the time and space to either get to their point or offload 
I guess, some baggage that might be, that might be helpful. What are some of the key things that you proceed with once you've kind of gone, do you know what? I think this customer is vulnerable. Therefore, I'm now going to proceed with care. I mean, we'd, we'd always proceed with code. Again, we're back to that. Why don't we do this for everybody? But it's interesting yeah. what you just said there about offloading baggage. Because again, if we're thinking about, again, I'm going to use the same analogy, two sides of the same coin, advisor well-being, our own well-being and protecting our, ourselves at work, then if we're just there for people to offload, then we're going to potentially struggle ourselves. So that's where the empathy comes in. It's about it's about being able to maintain our, our personal professional boundaries and still be empathetic problem sol- solvers for, for our customers. But we're not left holding, you know, all of this, all of the, the things that our customers bring to us. We're able to feel like we are able to show up, come alongside them, validate their reason for getting in touch, be there with them, but not be left holding things after that contact is, has finished. And that's all part of the, the emotional intelligence skill set that we that we work with teams to to build as part of the training so they are able to maintain healthy boundaries i suppose really from from the work they're doing and feel like they're able to be productive and active participants in in achieving good outcomes for customers uh, whilst remaining empathetic as well and supportive but but never left carrying more more than than we should or, or practically can because we're not there to diagnose, right? We're not there to, somebody might disclose something to us and we can learn best practice for how we then effectively and sensitively handle that disclosure and, and work with that customer to get them to the, the right, well, the optimal place and, and outcome, as it were. But we don't want to be left with the, the kind of emotional, to your point, emotional baggage after that contact's over. I love that answer. Just the phraseology you used as well around you can be empathetic, but maintain professional boundaries around. You can still evidence all of the empathetic skills yeah. and communication skills you need, but without taking on board additional problems. Because at the end of the day, you know, you, you, like you said at the outset, you're coming to work potentially also classed as a, a vulnerable customer. You can imagine, can't you, people? dealing with vulnerable customers on the phone, then going out on their lunch break to make some calls to a utility company and becoming a vulnerable customer for that lunch break whilst they're having to work through their day to day. Because I guess the nature of our industry is people, customers, we're contacting contact centers because we, we want something. We need something resolved. We have a query. We have a question. We have a complaint. We, you know, it's, Less and less transactional, I would guess, more and more problem solving to your earlier comment. How, I guess, does the training help people themselves as well? Not not just in delivery for customers, but also understanding themselves, like you say, self-awareness. Yeah, we, we hear that loads, that these are these are the skills of living well, ultimately, that we, uh, that, I think that's, that's why right. people... Training isn't about it being fun and enjoyable. It's 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 hopefully a, a great part of it and a bit of a value add for us because people tend to enjoy being in the sessions. But that's not really what it's about. But often the feedback we get is this has got so many applications beyond my role, my day-to-day role. I'm going to use this at home. I'm going to use this dealing in, with difficult situations with my, my family and, you know, other challenges that they might have and face daily. And that's the beauty of of the human element, you know, we could talk about the human element all day, but when we get good at these skills 
in a work and in a professional context, then then they really are the, the tools for, for living well. Yeah. But I just want to, to go back a little bit to what you were saying, you know, about kind of maintaining that professional boundary. And we do absolutely zoom in on well, what what is empathy? And then we differentiate it from things like sympathy, which can be quite passive and a bit, you know, head on the side and all, you know, poor you, right through to compassion, which is almost like, I don't want to say one up, it's not a hierarchy because, you know, it's like yeah. assigning value judgments to each, but compassion is real empathy action focused empathy like when you're really acting for for that individual to act with compassion so they they're all on a spectrum they're all kind of they can be conflated and used interchangeably but really it, it, to be really effective in our roles if we're meeting customers where they are when they when they bring vulnerability to us in in our contacts we we tend to find that empathy is quite a useful place to to concentrate our our efforts really and really understanding well what, how, what are we doing what are we actively doing if we're being empathetic problem solvers how are we showing up with that customer coming alongside them do we have to agree with them to be able to show empathy do we it does it mean being nice to someone to show empathy you know where does kindness fit in where does compassion fit in and have these quite nuanced conversations and people they get it people get it and then you know you'll get other people that say well i'm just not wired for empathy but we can always find a way in with people. And we talk about age and stage. You could be a 45-year-old person and feel less wired for empathy than, than somebody, you know, on the phone's first job out of school, even though you'll have had more and certainly different life experiences. How do you help? Because that's a great point. And I can just imagine people I've worked with or work, who've worked in my teams who would absolutely self-identify as someone that says, I don't do that. I, I get the job done. I help the customer, but I do, I am not doing mm-hmm. any of the touchy, touchy, feely, feely, mm-hmm. fluffy stuff or whatever terminology people have used in the past. Yeah. I can see lots and lots of people in my mind who I go, yeah, they, mm-hmm. they would absolutely be in your training going, this isn't me. And we absolutely welcome those people into the conversation. And, and we have people share things like, oh, well, I, I hear my colleagues say, I'm really sorry to hear that. And I, I've tried to say it, but it just doesn't sound genuine. And that's when we're like, right, okay, so what what could, what could does feel right for you? Because you know, you're trying things on. It's like a, when you put on a new pair of trainers, isn't it? You walk around for a bit and then they get comfortable. What could you say? And they might say, well, I could say, I can appreciate that's a difficult situation for you or that does sound hard or whatever it might be that that just feels more comfortable for them to come alongside that customer, really show up with an empathy marker that doesn't feel like they're wearing someone else's coat, basically. So, mm. yeah, so it's about personalizing it. And when, when it's not cookie cutter, it's not a one size fits all approach. Uh, it's, it's human to human and it's nuanced. And, and on the other side as well, on the flip side, there's always going to be that one customer that if you were to say, I'm really sorry to hear that, they'll say, well, why are you sorry? You don't know me. Or why are you sorry? It's not your fault. You didn't do it. But it's, you know, it's about continuing to engage with uh, authenticity, I think. And there must be, for you as trainers, there must be a great deal of satisfaction because technically though that person has traveled further in your, in your training because to your point about the new moves, they're really new. 
Yeah, we find that sometimes when we we do our check ins. Yeah, and they're like, I I didn't I didn't feel like this was for me, but I've had some real successes. And I I just it's all about encouraging people. You invite them to to make a new move, and then to notice what happens. And again, it's not every time. Sixty time sixty percent of the time works every time. You know, it's just finding what's right for I you. I saw that meme yesterday. <laughs> I love that. There might be people listening that feel like they're a bit slow at the starting blocks when it comes to their vulnerability provision. And that can be within their teams, their processes, their out the outcomes that they're delivering, mm. the extra support that is available. What would your advice to them be? My advice would be that even if it feels like you're at the foothills of a mountain, there's always something you can do. And, oh, I know it sounds so corny, but it is about just taking that first step. It's about leaning in. It's about, yeah, upskilling the teams, learning about it, really thinking, have a conversation with me. Basically, get yeah. in touch and we can, we can chat. And for the ones that are dealing with things like consumer duty, if, again, these things kind of, they're running alongside each other, aren't they? That kind of, but to your earlier point, there are benefits that will benefit you, even if you don't have to deliver something because a regulator is telling you to. But purely because it's the right thing to do. Yeah. Yeah. Nobody goes to work to do a bad job, do they? But people do want the tools and the skills and the confidence. And I'm going to say lean in again <laughs> to <laughs> lean in, to actively show up for, for vulnerable customers. But for fear of doing the wrong thing, if we don't feel like we've had the the necessary training or the necessary conversations, or we're not supported in role to do that, that's not going to happen. And that's when opportunities get left on the table, I think, and, and our customers and we mess out as well. Do you think just kind of looking forward, vulnerability has gone from very narrow, from what you said earlier, to broad. Do you think the term will become narrow again in the future. Can you say a bit more about what you what you mean there? So increased awareness, understanding the fact that we are perma what was perma it? crisis, yeah. yeah perma <laughs> crisis means all of which there's far more people in um, now underneath the umbrella term vulnerability. Whereas mm -hmm. previously it would have started with are you elderly? Are you in a wheelchair? You know, and now it's much broader. When you look forward, because we're all, because these skills are so applicable to everything, will the term become narrower again, do you think? Or what, what do you think if you look forward about our understanding of vulnerability? I think that the, the first thing that strikes me there is yes, there are lots of different ways that we can be vulnerable. There are, you know, different drivers of vulnerability. You know, we will have health drivers, um, you know, life events, resilience and, and capability and, and a whole range of ways. And it's never just one in isolation. Often there's, it's like cards were dealt by life, you know, that, that will, will happen to us, a bereavement here, a diagnosis here, um, that kind of thing as, as we move through life and move or kind of, you know, move across that spectrum of, of vulnerability. But just because those circumstances or characteristics are present doesn't mean that we're going to be impacted at that moment. Uh, and we're not going, you know, we won't necessarily be subject to harm or detriment. So it's about the point when there's almost like a tipping point when that crystallizes into harm. So we've got to be alive to that. So I think in answer to your 
to your question around, you know, whether it's narrow or I think I love the idea that there's an expansion and a broadening of our understanding and that it is a very holistic piece, that it's 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 changing tapestry. Like I mentioned earlier, there's like a snapshot of somebody's life on one day. Things will change. And that's a message of hope, really. So I think that even though we know that uh, people with vulnerable people in vulnerable circumstances, vulnerable characteristics are more likely to suffer harm or detriment, sadly, as a result often of, of getting into contact with us or doing business with us as an organization, that is rarely inevitable. And that is mm. what, you know, comforts me at night that we can, there's so much we can do. There's a lot of nuance in that. There are a lot of moving pieces. It's like a, a mosaic but there are absolutely tools in our kit that we can use to help us uh, to move through that. So I think, no, I'm not sure it will get very narrow again. I think it's going to be broad and I think that's the the right thing. Yeah. Yes, I agree. And I love, it's a, it is a very, very hopeful message. I meant, I guess I meant more that, that the good that comes from having this type of work yeah. is applied to all or should be applied to all. Therefore, We've raised our standards mm -hmm. and then actually we've now got these really extreme cases that are in a, that are a smaller number that we would then in the future, maybe that's classed as vulnerable. Whereas now this is just BAU. This is, we deliver this level of service, this level of customer care and empathy to all, but we still have these kind of very specific cases. Yeah, I'm just yeah because the thing is, if we're doing better for everyone, that that kind of you know baseline is the bar is being raised overall. Then those really extreme cases are more likely to be picked up on, and and you know the potential impact to them is going to be uh, identified sooner, and hopefully steps will be done to to mitigate. And that. Can I ask you as well about how you the people that are coming into we love our industry, don't we? Because it's a uh, kaleidoscope of people and experience and color and everything and it's very accepting can i just ask you about the kind of makeup of the of the room specifically around younger generations coming in because you can sometimes whether it's a conference or just talking to people in the industry hear people mindful of even if they're not applying negative or positive tones to it but mindful of a younger generation, our next group intake of people that are going to work their way through our industry, mm -hmm. how good are they at communicating? Given that voice is still prominent, you know, it's the most prevalent channel. How are the young generation that enter contact centers coping or how good are they? Or can they empathize when they don't have as many life skills and things like that? When you see and it's a huge generalization. So dissect, di destroy this question if you like. But what do you see from that group within the training courses that you've run this year? I see a difference. I do see a difference. Sorry, I was thinking about how political to be there. <laughs> but no, I don't choose honesty. I do, I do see a difference, but I think that, that it's not that they are any less empathetic. I think that they potentially just haven't had the opportunity to even really frame frame emotional intelligence for themselves in in a formal way. As we, you know, anecdotally over the years, we we do we see things, we read opinion pieces, we we learn various things, even from listening to a podcast, for example. So. I find that they really tune into it and appreciate the opportunity to 
just have a bit more of a deep dive and explore this. So yeah, I, I do notice a difference, but I think that we're, we're all still human. It's, it's all still there. Our, our wiring hasn't changed and there's just a, maybe a bit more of a coaching piece in there sometimes. That's my honest um, opinion. What is your biggest frustration mm-hmm. around maybe how our industry is approaching vulnerability? I think it goes back. That's a great question. Thanks, <laughs> Thanks. I get to uh, moan. It's dream world. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Oh, caught the ball. It is, there is still a bit sometimes of a, of a prevailing um, idea that, as, as somebody once said to me, smiles don't pay bills in, in some areas. And you're always going to get that, I think, with, with people that are very operationally minded. This idea that you used the word earlier, fluffy. Um, so yeah, I think it's any kind of perception that uh, EQ, emotional intelligence, empathy, active identification and provision of care for vulnerable customers is in some way fluffy or, or being nice or kind. It's their hard skills, not soft skills, I'd say. I love that. And a, a positive twist, what's the thing that brings you the most joy around the work in vulnerability? It's, uh, well big smile it's just working with frontline team members who just get it they know better than anyone you know and I I really think that they should have more of a voice often in in terms of how policy is is created and shaped when it comes to all of these these kind of concerns particularly around the ways that people can just present when they uh, are having a a tricky time and and what we can then do about it because there's so much skill and expertise and, and untapped knowledge in our team members that do this day in and day out by whatever channel. Yeah. I love so, that. Now, before we go, where can people find you, Heiji? Where, where can they see you in person? How do they get in touch with you virtually? Where are well, you going to be knocking about? Well, I'm in Devon. <laughs> Come and find me. No, we have lovely premises down in Devon at BPA Quality uh, Towers HQ. So yeah, if you're ever down this way in Exeter and, and want a coffee, then then uh, please do uh, get in touch. Best place is probably LinkedIn, I would say. And I'm always available there. Or say always, I'm generally available there. I'll be at the Call and Contact Centre Expo this month, as I know you will, in, in lovely London. I'll also be at the European Customer Contact Centre Awards uh, at the end of the month. And then in early December up in Newcastle uh, for an event with our partners Green Bean on this topic as well. So again, just reach out and we can uh, certainly link you into that event where I'll be talking about um, one of my favourite topics, which is what we do about vulnerability. Alan, thank you so much. I've lost count, actually. I should have checked before we did this what number appearance this is for you, but can you remember... The musical instrument that you referenced in the very first time you came on the podcast. Was it a trumpet? Correct. Yay! <laughs> trivia. Brilliant. You don't have a rap trivia. <laughs> I don't know how many times either. I don't know. Um, it's got to be four or five, I think. We'll have a look. Yeah, you can, uh, yeah, you can tell me. But thank you so much, and I'm looking forward to seeing you. Uh, it will yeah. be the awards next, won't it? Are you, uh, right, is it the awards or the expo yeah you're right it's the awards fair yes. yes and uh, for anyone listening please do get in touch with Helen you don't necessarily have to um, do the training that would be great 
over. Even just knowing Helen will make your life better. Trust me. <laughs> oh, well, that, that, that's an endorsement. Thank you. Thanks, Anthony.